Again, thank you for joining us. Good to be with all of you. And for those of you who joined us online, thank you again for joining us. Just want to remind you, if you're online or if you're in the sanctuary, our notes are, my notes are available. They're in the back table here. If you're online, you can find them on our website. Or if you're watching Facebook Live, they might pop up on the screen. But anywhere they're available to you if you like that to follow along. But you don't necessarily need it. So again, thank you for joining us as we continue to talk about the Holy Spirit. We're in this series now where we're actually celebrating Easter. If you haven't been with us the last few weeks, we are in this Easter celebration season that historically the church has called Eastertide, which you take the 50 days after Easter and you just continue to celebrate Easter as we anticipate Pentecost Sunday, which we celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church. So we're in Easter season, so we're, we're still celebrating, and part of our celebration is to talk about the Holy Spirit to talk about the Holy Spirit with anticipation of what He will do. And if you've been with us, you know that I'm going to probably talk about Scripture journaling and how the powerful impact that that can have on our life of just being aware of what the Spirit is doing. So on our website and in the back of our sanctuary, you'll find this notebook that you can have for free along with this companion guide of 50 scriptures to lead us to just talk about the Holy Spirit. just want to remind you that that is available for you. And I think this is one of the best ways to be aware of the Holy Spirit is to take time each day. You can take one minute or two minutes or a half hour just to look at one of the verses that's going to go with today's date and just pause and say, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. That the Holy Spirit is doing something in my life even though I'm not even aware of it. Because I think what I found myself doing is I'm reading through these. Some days I find myself, I'm praying for God to do this in my life. And then I recognize he's already doing that. I didn't even necessarily have to pray for that. But he's doing that. So it's been fun to just become aware of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our life. Even when we are not even paying attention. And I think that's why I like this series because it is such a dynamic of just being aware of what God is doing and what he wants to do in our life. When you look at the Holy Spirit, you can see there's kind of two, two ways you could divide up the work of the Holy Spirit. One of the things is the Holy Spirit, the work that he does inside of each of us to lead us to Christ, to lead us in transformation, to lead us in renewal. And then that other part of the Holy Spirit is that you see when the Holy Spirit takes what he's done in your life and he adds more power to it so then you can be an effective witness for Christ. And that's the beautiful thing that the Holy Spirit does for us, this work of transformation. And then he like lights it on fire so we can be used missionally by God. And that's why at Lake Effect Church that we say our vision, our mission is to be a people devoted to Christ in this message to the world. See, to be devoted to Christ, that's what it means to be a Christian. To have this desire to take God's message to the world, that's what it means to be a Christian. So that's why we're doing this, this series, to focus on that work that the Holy Spirit does in our life. I love how Francis Schaeffer, I love this quote by him. You can see it in your notes. He says, our calling is a different calling. It is to exhibit God in his character by his grace in this generation. We need to show him forth as personal, as holy, and as love. That's our calling, and we are only going to be able to accomplish that by that work of the Holy Spirit that he does in our life. So that's why we're spending time in this series, to really say, Holy Spirit, what are you doing in my life? To be aware of what he's doing so we can participate with it. You know, it's in the last week I, I, I was searching and I was studying, and 
I stumbled across one of the top 10 Bible verses that people search for in 2015. And it's Proverbs 3, verse 5 that says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I was kind of surprised that made it the top 10 searches in 2015. So I'd assume it's probably carrying on today, but it's actually number 8 in 2015. I thought that's kind of an interesting verse that people would search that trust in the Lord with all your heart. I mean, I like that verse. That's actually one of those really good verses to know and to remember because it kind of can answer any Bible trivial games. You know, if somebody says to you, what's your favorite verse? That's a really good one. Or if somebody says to you, what is the Bible all about? It's all about trusting in God and not leaning on your own understanding. What was the sermon about today? It's about trusting in God, not leaning on your own understanding. I mean, it kind of fills any answer somebody asks you about the Bible. You have to know that verse. But why I was surprised that this verse is so searched is because it's pretty much in contradiction to the culture of our society. It's in contrast to the spirituality of our culture. Our culture is often described as DIY spirituality or do-it-yourself spirituality. So I think 10 or 15 years ago, we might have called it cafeteria Christianity or smorgasbord Christianity, where you picked and choose from the Bible what you wanted to believe and you left what you didn't want. So now we call it DIY spirituality, which I think is kind of appropriate, do-it-yourself. But the problem with DIY spirituality, well, one of the problems is now people go to the internet and they can Google their spirituality and they find a whole lot of other people that agree with them. So finally, you can have bad theology and you find a bunch of people that agree with you and you think, well, I must be right because I got somebody in Iowa that agrees with me. And it becomes very dangerous. And this proverb is an exact contrast to DIY spirituality. God's saying, lean on me, trust me. Don't trust your own self with this. As I was pondering this verse, I kept going back and thinking, you know, this verse is a good description of the instruction that God gave to Adam and Eve when he said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This proverb is a very good illustration of God's commandment not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now you might be wondering what's the connection here, but before I go to the connection, I just want to talk about what is the meaning of this proverb anyway? What does it mean not to lean on your own understanding? I think in some way this proverb's very self-evident. It's not going to take a whole lot of explanation. Basically, God's saying, trust me, don't trust yourself. Don't lean on your own understanding of what you think maybe something means in the Bible. Don't lean on that. Don't lean and don't have so much confidence in your own conclusions that you might miss entirely what God is really saying through his word. Many ways, this proverb is saying you have to rely on the Holy Spirit to lead you. Don't think you can lead yourself and come up with the truth. You need to be led by the Holy Spirit. And that's where leading, allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us gets very exciting. Because where the Holy Spirit brings revelation, where he brings truth, he brings revelation. And that's what we're looking for at the end of the day. We want revelation of who we are. Who are we created to be? What are we supposed to be doing in this world? All of us want that question answered of what am I supposed to be doing? And when the Holy Spirit leads you in truth, you discover who you are, your position in the world, and what God has created you to be. 
And the beautiful part of the Holy Spirit is he does a lot of this work when you're not even paying attention, when you have no clue what he's up to. And we're going to look at that in 2 Kings. We're going to see how God will lead people that are actually against him. But he's leading them because he's compassionate. And he wants to pour out his love and compassion and mercy. And that's, again, why it's so important that we trust in the Holy Spirit. Because we're surrendering to him and saying, you know what? We trust that you're going to have the best plans for us. So let's go back to the Garden of Eden. When God set Adam and Eve in the garden, the very first rule that he gave them is don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As Rachel Gilson says in her book, God didn't make that rule really self-evident. He didn't back it up by telling them a lot of reasons why they couldn't do that. He told them if you eat from it, you'll die. He told them the consequence, but he didn't tell them why you can't specifically eat from that tree. And that's kind of frustrating for people. We want to know more, why can't I do that? Because after all, that tree looks like the other tree. That fruit looks like the other fruit. God, how come you say I can't do that? Because in my understanding, it doesn't seem to be any different from anything else. So why didn't God make that first rule really clear? I mean, God knew what was going to happen with Adam and Eve. I mean, why didn't God sit him down and give him like a 12-hour lecture? Don't eat from that tree because this is what's going to happen. You know, why didn't God put some big fence around that tree to guard it to say, don't get close to that at all? Why didn't God do that? So I think the reason God didn't do that is because the tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents an invitation for us to trust in God and not lean on our, on our own understanding. That tree is a reminder to us that sometimes some things in life really don't make sense. And that's okay if they make sense to God. I'm just going to follow him and what he's saying to do. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is an invitation for us to trust in God. When everything in us is saying, that doesn't make sense. I mean, when you go to Genesis 1, verse 28, this is when God first begins a conversation with Adam and Eve, and he says to them, it said, God blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. See, those first words recorded Adam and Eve, it kind of sounds like, just have a lot of fun. I create an environment that's perfect. I'm with you. I'm close to you. There's nothing bad going on. You're just going to enjoy it. You get to multiply. You get to govern over the birds and the fish. You're just going to have a lot of fun. Just enjoy life is what he's saying. That's all going really good until then you come to Genesis 2, verse 15. And suddenly there's a rule a little limitation where that says, then God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Now let's be honest, everything's going pretty good with Genesis 1. We kind of like that. This is what you can do. But then you get to Genesis 2 and suddenly this is what you cannot do. And suddenly we don't like that as much. And that rule is not that self-evident. 
it's not really obvious why. Now, if God would have said, don't kill each other, you'd probably said, okay, that makes sense. Or God said, now, don't steal from your wife. Okay, that makes sense. Or, you know, don't, don't be mean or don't be a jerk. You'd say, okay, all that makes a lot of good sense. I can follow that because I understand that clearly. But then when God says, but don't eat of this tree, then you're like, wait a minute, why not? Why, why not? It looks just like the other tree. Why are you limiting me? Is what we start to think. Why can't I have both? Doesn't make sense to me. I don't like that. And then we just continue to evaluate and say, I don't know if I should follow that because it doesn't, it's not logical to me. And that's kind of the cornerstone of DIY spirituality. If it doesn't make sense to me or if I don't really like that, then I'm, I'm, I'm going to skip over that one. I'm only going to follow what I really like. But then listen to what happened to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, verse 6. It says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Listen to that description. It looked good to her. And it was delightful for the eyes. It looked good. And so she ate it. How often do we get in trouble because something just looks good? How often do we get in trouble just because we think that looks delightful? How often do we think, well, God, you must be holding back on me if you're not going to be allowing me to have that because, after all, it looks really good. That's why God says, don't lean on your own understanding because at times your eyesight is very limited. At times your eyesight can be incredibly deceiving. And it's usually when you're the most vulnerable that your eyesight can be very deceiving. It's easy to look at Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and think, if Adam and Eve couldn't do it, why should I even try here in 2021? They had everything going for them. They lived in a perfect garden. They walked perfectly with God. If they're going to mess up, why do I think I should even try any different in 2021? I'll tell you why. There's a prophecy in the Old Testament in Ezekiel. where Ezekiel's telling the Israelites what their life is going to be like after the death and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. In Ezekiel 36, verse 25 through 27, it says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, I will take out your stony and stubborn heart and give you a tender and responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. See, that's exactly what God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit do in our life. They cleanse us. They wash us. They give us a new heart that is tender and responsive 
And then God gives us his Holy Spirit inside of us. Then God puts his empowering presence inside of us. Why? So we can obey him. So we can follow his decrees. And we can stop serving the idols we created. That's why we can try. Because we have the presence of God living inside of each of us. That's what the empowering presence of God does in our life. It gives us the ability to follow God. It gives us the ability not to lean on our own understanding, and it gives us the ability to turn down what, what looks good and delightful for the eyes. But I think we get frustrated at time because we think, God, it would have been a whole lot easier if you just didn't put that tree in the garden. God, it would be a whole lot easier if you took some of those trees out of the garden that I live in. Each of us have trees in our life that are, represent temptations, represent vulnerabilities, represent insecurities, represent people that we don't like, that cause us frustration. We have trees in our life that remind us of past events that are hurtful or painful. And a lot of times we spend a lot of our life praying that these trees would go away. We spend a lot of our life praying somebody just get rid of these trees because if that tree of temptation was gone or if that annoying person was gone, then my life would be so much easier. But see, sometimes those trees that are in our ethos, that are in our community, serve to remind us to trust in God and not lean on our own understanding. Sometimes those trees of annoying people or situation or memories remind us to trust in God. They remind us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the goal that God had for Adam and Eve was that they would be able to walk by the tree of knowledge of good and evil and go to the tree of life to eat. And that's the same goal that God has for each of us. That we can walk by these trees of knowledge of good and evil in our life and we can just be filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to walk to the tree of life to be filled with the tree of life. But so often we spend so much of our time fighting and praying that these trees would go away. We spend more time praying that these trees would go away instead of praying, God, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit so I don't even notice these trees that are around me. That's why it's so important that we know what the Bible says about the work of the Holy Spirit. It's so important that we know what the Scripture says about what the Holy Spirit does in our life because it fills us, it reminds us, it makes us keenly aware of what the Holy Spirit does in our life so we can walk by those trees of the knowledge of good and evil and just focus on the tree of life. That's why reading your Bible is so important. That's why scripture journaling is so important. That's why spending time in community is so important. Because it fills us with the Holy Spirit so we're not distracted by a bunch of trees that are trying to get our attention all day long. See, without the Holy Spirit, we miss the truth. And we focus on what just looks good or pleasing or delightful to the eyes. See, one of the most tragic parts of the fall one of the most tragic consequences of the fall is that it left us spiritually blind. That because of the fall, a lot of us have problems with our vision. We have problems of seeing things clearly. We have a problem of seeing the reality. And one of the biggest problems that we often have 
is that we don't realize that we have vision problems. We think we see things clearly, but in fact, we don't. That's why God says, don't lean on your understanding, but lean on the Holy Spirit. Last re- week, I read from 2 Kings. My message was on 2 Kings 6. I read a few verses from that, and this week I'm going to go back to that chapter. I'm going to read a few verses before it and a couple verses afterwards to kind of frame in this whole message about how the Holy Spirit gives us insight. So I'm going to start with 2 Kings 6, verse 8. It says, When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, We will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But immediately Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, Do not go near that place, for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their army there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on the alert there. The king of Aramon became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, Which of you is the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord, the king. One of the officers replied, Elisha, the prophet of Israel, tells the king of Israel, Even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back, Elisha is at Dothan. So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now, the young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told them, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. As the Aramean army advanced towards him, Elisha prayed, O Lord, please make them blind. So the Lord struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Then Elisha went out and told them, You have come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me and I will take you and the man you are looking for. And he led them to the city of Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha prayed, O Lord, now open their eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they discovered that they were in the middle of Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he shouted to Elisha, My father, should I kill them? Should I kill them? Of course not, Elisha replied. Do we kill prisoners of war? Give them food and drink and send them home again to their master. So the king made a great feast for them and sent them home to their master. After that, the Aramean riders stayed away from the land of Israel. Now this is a fascinating story. It's a fascinating Bible story of two groups of people that have a really hard time with their vision. They have a really hard time seeing clearly. Now, one group of people is Elisha's servants, which represents followers of God, represent maybe Christians. And then the second group involves people that don't believe in God. And the interesting twist of the story is that both parties, both groups of people, need the same intervention with their eyesight. They need their eyes open and their hearts open to see what the Holy Spirit is doing. 
So today I'm going to finish my message by talking about these groups of people. But before that, I want to talk about the enemy and the limitations that he has. See, the Syrian army has it out for the Israelites. They always have had it out for the Israelites. They're kind of the common enemy for the Israelites. They want to take overtake the Israelites. And the reason they want to do that is because they believe if they could defeat the Israelites and defeat their king and defeat Elijah, their life would be so much better. They think if I just got rid of that one enemy, then life would be good and I could move on. But they have one problem. They have one very big problem is that God knows their plans. God's not surprised by their plans. So what God consistently does is he warns Elisha of the enemy's plans to come against them. In verse 9, he says to, Elisha says to the king of Israel, don't go near that place. For that's where your enemy's going to send troops. Don't go near that place is the word that God spoke through Elisha. That verse sounds a lot like Genesis 2, verse 15. Don't go near that tree. Don't go near that. That's part of the role of the Holy Spirit in our life is to say to us, don't go there. Back up. You're getting too close to danger. See, I think it's sometimes it's, it's so comforting to see that God is aware of the enemy's strategy to come against us. But it's also comforting to know that God is way ahead of the enemy and he's going to warn us. That he's going to tell us to back up from that conversation or back up from that place or don't go there or don't entertain that thought or to move away. That's the power of the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and our situation each and every day. And last week I talked about Elisha's servant. Elisha's servant who got up that morning like most of us and he looked out his window and first thing he thought is, oh no, it's going to be a terrible day ahead of me. He looked out the window and he saw all the Syrian armed forces that were going to come against the Israelite and his first thought is, I'm going to be dead. Not a whole lot different than some of us when we wake up in the morning and we look at what is on the horizon for our day. We might have a difficult day at work or a difficult day with other people or a difficult day in our family. and We think, I'm defeated even before we really get out of bed in the morning. And I love what Elisha does. He looks at his servant and just says, don't be afraid. And then he prays for his servant that his eyes would be open so that he would see the reality of the work of the Holy Spirit. And God likes to answer that prayer. And suddenly the servant is like, wow, he could see, he could have a vision of what God was really doing behind the scenes. And that was powerful. Because suddenly that servant went from one minute to think they're going to be defeated, and the next minute he sees the reality of that God is surrounding him with his own army. And so many of us are like that servant. That all we see is the bad things that might happen that day and we fail to see the reality of what God is doing in the spiritual dimension that sometimes we are totally unaware of. I think this verse and this chapter is such a good reminder of why we need to live in community. Why we need to live with other believers or why we need to be mentored by somebody else or why we need to be mentoring another person. Because there's times in our life that we do not see the full reality of what God is doing in our life. And we need somebody to gently say to us, don't be afraid. And then intercede for us that we would have a better vision of what God is really doing. 
I love the fact that Elisha didn't have to sit down. He didn't have to say to his servant, oh, come on, really? You don't understand? Where's your faith? But Elisha's servant just quietly went to the side and he prayed. We need people in our life like that that can listen to us and just pray for us that God would reveal to us what he is doing so that we have a bigger picture of the reality. I love how the Apostle Paul, he prays a very similar prayer to God open up their eyes. Paul, he, he likes to use a few more words. But Paul says in Ephesians 3, verse 18, he says, May you have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That's how Paul prays, may your eyes be open. May you know the love of God. See, I love the fact that Elisha didn't say, oh boy, I better pray that God sends his troops, that God sends more chariots. Elisha had the confidence to know they were already there. He just prayed, Lord, let me be aware of what you're already doing. I think sometime in spiritual warfare, I love spiritual warfare, don't get me wrong, but I think sometimes we start praying way too much for things that God's like, I've already done that. Why are you asking me to do that? I've done it. There's chariots of fire surrounding you right now, and you're praying for me to send chariots of fire. I did that years ago. But I love Elisha's motto. It's like, no, pray that I can see the work that God's already doing. That's easier. That's a whole lot easier than spending hours and hours praying that God's going to send warring angels and, and chariots of fire. Maybe sometimes it's necessary, but sometimes it's just necessary to say, whoa, I see what God is doing. There's something interesting about this story that's easy to skip over. And that's the story, that's the city where the servant realized that he thought he was going to die, and that's the city of Dotham. That's the same city that Joseph, remember the younger brother, the guy with the coat of many colors, the guy whose brothers sold him into slavery? That's the same city that Joseph got put in a pit. And he cried out to God, would you rescue me? See, it's an interesting story because in the story, you compare the story side by side, it looks like the servant, he got an immediate answer to his prayer. And immediately he saw the chariots of fire and saw the angels and saw God had a plan to rescue them. But Joseph prayed the same thing, God, would you rescue me? And Joseph got out of that pit and then sold into jail, into slavery, then ended up in jail, then ended up being forgotten by his friends, it took him 13 or more years till his life got back on track. It's easy to look at these two stories side by side and think, boy, things worked out really good for the servant. Ah, too bad Joseph didn't get the break. But I think sometimes we fail to see that God answered both of the prayers for Joseph and the servant. But see, there's a bigger picture that was going on. It wasn't just about the servant, and it wasn't just about Joseph. It was about their family and friends. It was about the people that they knew that needed salvation. 
If God would have rescued Joseph out of that pit that day, got him out, gave him back his coat, and sent him back home, in 13 years, Joseph and his family probably would have died because of the famine. But instead, God had the foresight to say, you know what, Joseph, you're going to go through a tricky time and a tricky season. But when this 13 or 20 years are done, you're going to look back and say, that was worth it. Because God, look what you did to my family. Look what you did with my friends. Look at the salvation that you brought to people around me. Dotham is a good reminder for us that every time we pray, God sends his chariots of fire. And that God's going to answer our prayer in a way that's better than any of us could anticipate it. I think a lot of us are going through this year, this COVID year, and we feel like, we feel like we're Joseph. We feel like we've gone from a pit to a jail cell, to being forgotten, to being accused of something, and we just wonder, what's next? And a lot of us look at it like, boy, I'd like to be that servant and just quickly get rescued out of it. But could it be that we are going to be like Joseph? And maybe a year or two, we'll look back and say, that was difficult and that was hard. But man, look at the good that God brought out of this. Look at the good that God brought out of this for me and my family and the people that I've been praying for. Dotham is a good reminder that God is strategic. Then I love how the story continues to unfold. The servant gets his eyes back so he can see clearly what God is doing. And then in verse 18, there's a twist to the story. Elisha prays that the enemies of Israel would become blind. Now, when he says he prayed for them to become blind, most Hebrew, Hebrew scholars don't believe that they became blind like they couldn't see at all, like they lost their sight, because that, they wouldn't be able to ride on their horses if that all happened. Instead, what they believe what happened is that Elisha prayed that the men that were coming after them, the enemies, would experience like in a delusion or that their perception would become wrong, and they wouldn't see clearly. See, that makes sense. See, in this picture, what's going on is the Syrians, they think God and the people of Israel are the enemies. So their plan is to destroy God and the people, the, the Israelites, because they think if they do that, they will eliminate their problems. But God's not their enemy. So Elisha prays and they experience this kind of delusion. And so the next thing is, Elisha steps in and he goes out to the army, the Syrian armies, and he says, hey, you're looking for the wrong thing. Follow me. The truth is, Elisha was honest to the Syrians. They were looking for the wrong person. They didn't know what they were really looking for. So Elisha says to them, or, says to them, follow me to the city of Samaria. And that's about 10 miles away from where they're at. So the, the thought is it probably is going to take them maybe three or four or five hour journey to get from Dotham to, to Samaria. And they get to Samaria, which is interesting because that is the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. 
So Elijah leads the people into the capital. They get in the capital city, and what are they? They're captured. The enemy armies followed Elisha into the capital city of Israel, and suddenly they are surrounded by the Israelites. Sumerians thought that they were going to take advantage and destroy God's people, but instead they became captive. And then what happens is, I love this part where the king said, okay, should we kill them? Let's kill them. They're our prisoner of war. And Elisha steps up, and Elisha so often the story represents Christ and says, no, don't kill them. Instead, throw them a feast. Throw them a party. Show them grace. Show them compassion. The very people who are out to destroy Elisha, Elisha turns around and says, let me throw you a party. Let me show you my compassion. They didn't see that coming. What they thought was their enemy was actually their friend. And so they throw them this amazing feast and party and they all participate. See, this is the irony of the story is that they thought capturing and destroying God's people would bring them a celebration. But what they discovered is that when they were captured by God, they found a celebration of grace. See, Elisha didn't take the people to the capital city to give them justice. He brought them there so they could experience peace. Instead of judgment, they found peace. It's no different than when Jesus was on the cross. He looked and said, Father, would you forgive them? See, what Elisha did that day is he was showing the Syrian army what they were really looking for. He showed them what they really wanted. In their own understanding, they thought they wanted to see Elisha and the Israelites dead. That's not what they were looking for. But the Holy Spirit knew what he was looking for. So the Holy Spirit revealed to them the truth and led them to where they could be taken captive by God and so that they could experience a celebration. And that is what the Holy Spirit consistently does in our life. He shows us what we're really looking for. Sometimes we go on wild adventures like the Sumerians went for. A 10, 15 mile journey where you, you, you just you don't even know where you're going. But there's the Holy Spirit leading them, taking them exactly where they need to go and that's in front of the king. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in our life today. He's leading us in this very unusual way during COVID and all the other life circumstances that go on. He's leading us through this really challenging time, but in the end, the Holy Spirit's going to bring us to exactly to where we need to be. God's not surprised by any detail. God's not surprised by any of the enemy's plans. He knew, though, before. 
And he keeps speaking them to the Holy Spirit. We're in a difficult time, but we're in an exciting time. There's going to be a lot of opportunities ahead. There's a lot of opportunities now. And we all pray that we get through this pandemic quickly. But I think we need to be excited with anticipation of what will God do through this pandemic and what will God do after this pandemic. And how will all of our prayers finally be answered that we might see our family and our friends' salvation come to them in their house? So God, we do thank you for today. God, we thank you for the move of your Holy Spirit that you are strategically moving in ways that we could not anticipate, we could not ask for, that are beyond our expectation. And Lord, even we go back to Psalm 91, which we prayed so much in the year ago, because God loves me, he will rescue us. That he will protect us. And he will deliver us. And with long life, God will satisfy us and show us salvation. So God, we thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit. Would you continue to move amongst us, and Lord, help us to be aware. God, I pray that every one of our eyes would be open to the truth, that every one of our eyes would be open to the reality of who you are in what you are doing. And God, I thank you that daily we live in a celebration of your grace. That every day you put out this banquet table before us and you say, another day I'll give you grace instead of judgment. So we say thank you for that today in Jesus' name. Amen.